It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today it is Raider Week. Uh, time for revenge on the Raiders. I am fortunate enough to get to talk to Silver and Black Pride's Matt Holder. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, came on the podcast early in the year, and so uh, reversing fortunes, repaying the favor a little bit this year. But yeah, looking forward to Sunday. And last time, when I hopped on your pod, the Raiders won, so I'm kind of hoping it works in reverse this time. Mix up the juju? Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, we'll see. The last time that these two teams played, it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting in the way that their seasons have kind of gone because both teams find themselves now at 7-7. Seven and seven. Both teams have kind of a rough final three games. Both teams essentially need to win two of three games, or it's their their fifth straight losing season since 2016. It's it's funny because they're like they're mirror images, but they're also like different paths to get there. Like it felt like the like the Raiders when they hit their peak was when the Broncos like were in the middle of their slide, and when the Broncos started to pick it back up was when the Raiders hit their slide. Um, I mean, granted, both teams started what two three and zero or two and two and yeah. one and whatnot. So it is kind of funny how it's how it's all come full circle to this week where basically, like you said, both teams need to win two of the last three to to be above that 500 mark and need to win all three to be in any sort of consideration for the playoffs. So it'll be a be a wild jam. I'm still surprised, though. I'm honestly a couple of weeks ago, I did not think the Raiders and Broncos, either team would be still in the hunt. So it just speaks to the the craziness that's been the AFC this year. Yeah, the AFC has been nuts. Just the fact that the Broncos are still alive at seven and seven is pretty remarkable. Uh, and again, it kind of kind of brings me to I would say honestly, the Raiders still being alive at this point might be more remarkable to me just because of everything that's kind of gone on around the team. Uh, and I mean, I don't you know we don't have to like rehash everything, but just the John Gruden no, stuff, yeah, sure. the Henry Rugg stuff. I mean, it's I, I will admit I was. When, when the the Raiders beat the Broncos the first time around, I found it kind of humiliating just because the Raiders are in turmoil, like everything that just happened. And again, like part of it was, you know, the emotion probably of, you know, kind of trying yeah. to prove that, you know, they can kind of rally after the Gruden stuff. But, but I mean, I think it speaks to uh, Rich Visaccia that the team has kind of held on. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah. Like, what, what do you kind of think of the job he's done so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bisaccia, he's, he's like you said, like, you know, the first couple of games he came out and was on fire swinging. I mean, they beat the hell out of the Eagles, too. I mean, we see the Eagles last night. They're in the they're in the playoff mix from the NFC, too. And I mean, they're they look like a completely different team than when the Raiders played them. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, again, you go look at that game. That was the turning point for either, both teams just going in opposite directions of the game result where the Raiders took it to the Eagles and uh, haven't been good since then. And the Eagles got their. Uh, butts kicked and have been a pretty good team ever since then. Um, but like you said, I mean, the, the first game, I definitely think, you know, the, the emotions of not having Gruden kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily like you know, playing for Gruden or whatever, but like just kind of having that whole, that whole uh, situation definitely, I think played a factor and gave the Raiders a little bit of an emotional boost. And then going into the next week, you know, it still looked like they had something to prove. And I mean, I, I like Rich Passaccia. It seems like a nice guy. I think he's a, a good special teams coach. I think he's a decent coach. But it's just hard to hard to argue with the results that have been the last few weeks. You know, they they're two and six uh, under his, or excuse me, three and six, I believe, under his tutelage. Now, um, the two wins being the first two games he coached, and then uh, one sort of kind of a 
miracle win against uh, the Cowboys. It looks like an anomaly at this point. And then last week against a depleted Browns team with, you know, half their offense on the COVID list and, uh, and not being able to practice every week. It's kind of hard to put uh, put much weight in a two-point victory over a team like that. But this week would be a big testament, I think, too. I mean, um, obviously, the both teams, like we were talking about, have a little bit to play for rest in the season. Rivalry game, a uh, team that the, the Raiders took, took care of business against in the beginning of the year. That'll be a big uh, testament. And I do think a little bit, too, like, I don't know of many interim coaches that have had to deal with one, a scandal from their predecessor. And then like three weeks later, their number one receiver is, you know, has a terrible accident that cost somebody else their life. Like that's hard to overcome. So I do feel bad for Rich Passaccia. I feel like, you know, you, you wait your whole life. He's like 60 something years old and uh, finally become a head coach. And then, you know, to have that three weeks into your campaign, that's rough and that's hard to come back from. And the Raiders haven't been the since without, uh, haven't been the same since without rugs and without, uh, ever since that bye week. So it, it's a tough hand he's been dealt. It's just one of those things where this is the NFL, and if you're not producing and not winning, especially as a head coach, you usually don't have a long shelf life. And that's unfortunately the situation I think he's going to be in, just not being the guy moving forward. And you have a better beat on this than I do, and I was just thinking of this, but where where are Raiders fans kind of with this team? Because I know I, I, I keep up with a lot of people you know, on Twitter. It seems like a lot of people have basically kind of turned on Carr, uh, and I've seen that a bit. But I haven't seen a lot of, you know, fire rich or anything like that. I know kind of I think everybody expects him gone after this year, but I don't think th- there's not like a vocal component like there is in Broncos country right now. Basically, if I if I, I I made a tweet during the game, Vic Fangio and clock management, I didn't have to say anything else. Everybody knew exactly what I was talking <laughs> about. Uh, I haven't seen that with Rich quite as much. Is is that just because kind of like a resignation? You know, it's funny when you when you saw, sent that tweet, I didn't even know the context, but I knew exactly what you were doing. I'm like, this is just 100 percent just to see what the replies are like. This is hilarious. But um, as far as like the fire Visagia, uh, you know, clamoring, I think everyone just kind of expects him to be gone. Like, I don't think anybody really expects him to be back. I think especially if they don't make the playoffs, which, again, it doesn't look like it. You know, as far as the outlook for the scene, I'd say most people are kind of realistic of like, hey, they have a chance. But again, like even if they win or even if they pull within a, a game, like they're only a game back right now, the four-way tie. But again, they're a game back of a four-way tie. Um, got the Colts on the schedule. Got the Chargers on the schedule. Even the Broncos are going to be a tough out, too, to try and win it out, which again, like that's kind of their only chance. So I feel like most of Raider fans are kind of in that realm of like, you know, this is a this is a solid team. This has uh, been a solid year. A lot of crap that's kind of dealt with. But most, most people are looking towards the future. And with Carr, it's it's tough because similar situation as what I was just talking about with Vasantia. I don't know many quarterbacks that have had to deal with the scandal with their head coach and then losing the number one wide receiver in the middle of the year. And then tough, couple that with not having Darren Waller the last three weeks. You know, he went down halfway through the Thanksgiving game. So it's tough. Like, I, I definitely, uh, you know, feel bad for Derek Carr. It's kind of a similar situation where it's like, man, this guy. It seems like ever since he's been with the Raiders, just nothing but bad things keep happening to him between him breaking his own leg or the Raiders just not having a good roster around him. I think people just get frustrated when, you, when you're when you not winning, when it's year eight and it's looking like one playoff year out of eight. And, um, you know, a lot of that unfortunately comes with the territory of being a starting quarterback in the NFL, fair or not. And, I mean, you know, as far as, like, my feelings, again, like I'm not going to sit here and blame Derek Carr, say he's the problem, but – it's kind of gotten to the point where it's like, I don't know if you're the answer at this point yeah. where, yeah, we need, we need uh, to have a great offensive line and some weapons around you and you can be great. 
And I think that's great. And I think, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with a quarterback like that in the NFL, but it's also hard to do when your quarterback is again, year nine, going, going to be going into year nine, making a good chunk of money and going to be up for a contract extension and taking up a, a good portion of that salary cap. When, when one guy eats up a, a big portion of the cap or a big percentage of the cap, it's hard to build that rest of the roster out there. So it's, it's kind of getting to that point where I think a lot of people are starting to get onto this, this mindset of it's probably going to move on. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders end up blowing it up and seeing a big turnover in this offseason, especially if they're going to get rid of Mike Mayock too, along with the rest of the coaching yeah. staff, just kind of a start over. But yeah, I am curious though, what's kind of the feeling in, uh, in Broncos country over there. I mean, I know it seems like Fangio is going to be on his way out. It seems like he's lost the fan base at least. Um, I'm just curious what, what the thoughts are coming from the organization as far as like Peyton, is this his second year, first year with as a GM? First year. Gotcha. And yeah, so that Fangio is kind of in a lame duck status because Elway announced at the end of last year that he was out. And so Fangio was on the hiring committee to hire Peyton. Peyton mm-hmm. said, at least publicly, that he joined the Broncos in part because of Fangio. You know, you say those kind of things at a presser anyway. Yeah. But the Broncos, the results aren't good enough. Uh, as, it, as it stands, their defense was a significant reason they lost to the Raiders. Their defense was an issue in the Browns game, in the Eagles game. Uh, early in the season, it cost them in the Baltimore game. Grand Baltimore, just everything went wrong. But... <laughs> But Fangio oversees all of it. And at the end of the day, and again, I, I say this as somebody who I could understand if they keep Fangio for the last year of his contract because the Broncos do have the ownership change that's going to be happening this offseason, almost certainly. Uh, the Broncos have already contacted six different banks in order to try and start to work out a sale, uh, like the Bull and Trust. And their ownership situation has been a mess for almost a decade now. But it looks like they're going to sell the team, which creates a situation where if you're Peyton... Does it make sense to hold on to the coach that hasn't been good enough under a new owner? Or do you want to make an impression on a new owner by hiring a new coach? Cause that's your guy. That's how you're, you know, you're going to be remembered. So I think it could go either way, but it definitely looks like it's trending towards Fanjo being on the outs just because he's had his issues. His issues with clock management are notable. Uh, he's the one who hired Pat Shermer and Pat Shermer's offense. I know the advanced stats suggest that the Broncos offense is like, above average, hovering around 10th in the league. And grand, this is the best Broncos offense I think we've seen since, you know, Pete Manning. But there's issues scoring. They don't create explosive plays. Part of that's Teddy Bridgewater. But they they don't create explosive plays. They Their running game, they allow too many stuffs. And part of that is design. So the offense has issues. The special teams has been a joke for going on five years now. Uh, Tom McMahon has overseen four of those. Fangio had the choice to move on from him this offseason. He did not. So at the end of the day, Fangio kind of owns all these issues on all sides of the ball, even though the defense has really come on lately. So it gets to this point where Peyton could decide to keep him because of like the cost. And if the Broncos finish with a winning record, you know, you can sell that, that kind of thing. But I don't think it's going to go that way. It definitely doesn't look like it right now, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's tough because I always liked Fangio as a coordinator. I always wanted him, like even when his even his days in San Francisco, I wanted him to get a head coaching job just to see what he can do. But it, it definitely seems like he's a he's one of those guys that's just a better coordinator than head coach at this point. It sucks. I I, I felt like I defended him for a while, and now it's uh, blowing up in my face. <laughs> oh, me too. I I'm I'm of the mind that I went into this season thinking that Fangio definitely deserved a chance, 
just because his quarterback situation has just been brutal for the first two years of his year uh, tenure. He had Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, Drew Locke as a rookie, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, and Kendall Hinton as his quarterbacks, which I don't think anybody can win consistently with that as your quarterback group. And so Teddy Bridgewater, granted, I'm not saying Bridgewater's, you know, world beater, but Bridgewater at least gave him a competent NFL quarterback. And it gave us a chance, you know, gave Broncos country a chance to really see what Fangio can do without quarterback being just a black hole. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's been good enough. Uh, I could see them keeping him in hopes that, you know, another Peyton draft, maybe it fixes everything. I just, I don't know if that's the way it's going to go. It doesn't look like it. And I can totally yeah. understand if they decide to move on because the other part of that is if they keep Fangio, the Broncos will almost definitely have to hire a new coordinator uh, for special teams and offense. And if you're doing that and you have a coach, a head coach who's a lame duck and you're hiring new coordinators, you're kind of just as a GM with a new owner, you're opening yourself up to criticism because you're going to end up being on the hook if that doesn't work. And I think yeah. Peyton at the end of the day is going to try and preserve you know, his own job status. So that's where I think it's going to go. I might be wrong, but that's what it looks like right now. Yeah, one of those things where they got to figure out who the hell is owning the team. Who's who's going to be at the top of the top of the food chain right there before anything and, else gets figured out. Well, and the, and the worst part about it is the the timeline for the ownership situation. The the league office won't approve a new owner until March. So the Broncos wow. are in this weird situation where they're going to probably have to make a decision on Fangio two to three months before they have an owner. They might have some idea of what's happening, but they don't. They won't know for sure until yeah. until you know they already have a new coach in place or, you know, whatever they decide on. So it's gotcha. a weird, it's a weird situation in Denver. Gotcha. Gotcha. But kind of moving back to this game though, uh, injuries kind of define it. I think in a lot of ways, and this is, I Definitely. mean, this is true. I think for every team, but I think really for this game and, and you alluded to it a little bit with Carr. it sounds like Darren Waller might play, but I don't know what he's going to look like if he's dealing with a knee and a back injury. Yeah. I mean, the Darren Waller situation has kind of been, it's been a little frustrating uh, as someone who covers the team because when he was first injured, they thought he'd be able to, he wouldn't, he might not miss any game, any time. Obviously that didn't happen. And then they ruled him week to week. And then the next week they're like, he's day to day. I'm like, is that any different? <laughs> like, like all we care about is Sundays at this point. He doesn't have to practice. We don't care if he's day to day or week to week. And then now they're saying that there's a chance he might play. Um, the Raiders didn't practice today on Wednesday. They just did a walkthrough, had the short week with the Monday night reschedule. Um, so their injury report this week was uh, an estimate, but it did rule him out if that's anything of significance. And he hasn't even practiced. Um, I think someone was saying he was on the practice field, like getting like looked at by trainers, but not actually like practicing or working out or anything like that. So that's kind of a bad sign. I'm kind of in the camp where I'm like, look, man, this guy's your superstar. Let's make sure he doesn't like do anything uh, more like structurally damaged into his knee. You got to, you got away with him, not like tearing an ACL or something like that and having a major knee injury. And again, like we're talking about, you know, playoffs are kind of, there's, there's a chance. Yeah. There's a mathematical chance, but it seems like a far fetched chance. So what's the point of playing with playing him, you know, see what you have in a guy like a Foster Moreau, who to be honest with you, has been one of the more disappointing players for the Raiders this year. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I, the best thing I can give you right now is that there's probably a better chance this week that uh, Waller plays after the win than um, if they would have lost. Again, you know, they would have lost. They would have been sitting at what six and eight, and uh, no chance or no thought of whatsoever at the postseason. So now that they have a chance and there's running, maybe they they give it a go. But like you said, um, 
it all just depends on how effective he can be. The one thing I will say is I feel like him just being out there can at least, you know, take some of the pressure off Hunter Renfro. Renfro has been balling out. He had like back to back hundred yards games and uh, without Waller. And then I think this last week, the, he wasn't flying under the radar anymore. He's still, he's kind of caught everybody by attention. And I mean, he's the only guy right now that you respect on the Raiders receiving court. Cause no one else can really get it done. It's a bunch of, a bunch of scrubs to be honest with you. So I would like to see him at Waller, at least out there if that's kind of the push, um, push for the playoffs, but who knows at this point. And the other, and again, we're recording for, you know, listeners, we're recording on Wednesday night. So some of these injuries will become clear over the course of this week. Uh, but I do know Jonathan Abram was announced out for the season yeah. at this point. So he will miss the game, obviously. Uh, Faison and Nate Hobbs are still currently on the COVID-19 list last I checked, uh, mm-hmm. which could be significant for Denver just because the Broncos do play almost 70% of their snaps out of 11 personnel. So they will end up probably playing against a backup if Nate Hobbs isn't in because he's been a really good nickel corner. And he might actually move to boundary because of the injuries around him, right? Yeah, so it's kind of a it's kind of a cluster out there in the secondary. Like you'd mentioned, um, the the Raiders were down are down to their second corner already. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, he was on IR, uh, I believe. Yeah, I think he missed the Broncos game. Yeah, he did miss the Broncos yep. game the first time around. That's right because uh, Amick Robertson started. So he uh, so Trayvon Mullen had got injured in like week four was out until the chiefs game. And what was that week? Uh, 14, 16, something like that, or 14 or 15, no 14. Um, so he came back and then played a half and then was out again for the rest of the, of the game. And then it got revealed later that he injured his same toe again. So now he's back on IR and he's done for the year. So the Raiders were kind of already back, uh, backed against the wall with uh, starting another corner, like a Brandon face who's been the kind of the number two for the majority of the year. And in fact, took over uh, the role from Amick Robertson when in uh, week six, when they put on the Raiders and the Broncos played last time. Um, but obviously with face going on COVID, that's going to make things more complicated. I believe him and Hobbs, I think they're both vaccinated. I don't know hundred percent, but I believe they both can return with the, the NFL's new rules, so they there's a chance they can both play. Um, obviously, the Raiders are going to need them, like you said, going to be shorthanded at, at corner uh, already. If those guys can't go, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think we might see some Desmond Trufant out there at the boundary corner, um, and then Keyson Nixon, who also started the year injured but has played played last week in replace of Hobbs uh, when Hobbs was placed on the COVID list, and Nixon played really well in the slot. Uh, I think he only gave up like three catches for like 17 yards, something like that. He had a really good game. One of his, his uh, best performances as a Raider. So I'd like, I kind of like to see what they were doing with, uh, w- uh, with him. If Hobbs can come off the list, if they can put Nixon in the, in the slot in the nickel position and then put Hobbs on the boundary, like you're saying, just to see again, because Hobbs is a rookie. You've seen him do really well in the slot. We know we can cover in the slot. Let's see what he can do on the outside. Let's see what he can do as a boundary corner. Cause you know, who knows with Trayvon Mullen what his future holds? He's uh, obviously done for the year, and then next year is going to be a contract year for him. So, you know, not doesn't hurt to have a backup plan uh, in case that thing, things go uh, awry with Mullen or make any sort of decisions with him in the offseason. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping, really hoping that Nate Hobbs can come off the COVID list. I think uh, of the two of him, he would be the bigger one to re- return against Faison, especially since Jerry Judy didn't play in the last game and will be there. And, uh, Definitely do not want to be shorthanded against the the likes of Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Tim Patrick. That's not exactly what I'm looking for. So, 
And then uh, for the Broncos, the injuries that I know of as of right now, the following players mispracticed today. Uh, Kenny Young, Bobby Massey, Melvin Gordon, Kareem Jackson, Shamar Stephan, and then uh, obviously Teddy Bridgewater is the big one. Uh, Fangio has already come out and said that Bridgewater will not play against the Raiders, so we are going to see Drew Locke. There is a possibility. It sounds like if Teddy Bridgewater does not clear concussion protocols, we will actually, Broncos country will get Drew Locke the rest of the way, uh, which, you know, who knows right now because uh, so, it's Teddy Bridgewater's second concussion, and that's that's what kind of makes it kind of, sh- you know, who knows. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious for, uh, I kind of have like two questions about that whole situation. Yeah. I mean, I remember last time when we talked about it, we were talking about Teddy Bridgewater as a, I think we deemed him an extension quarterback, not a franchise quarterback, yeah. meaning like he's someone that you can kind of kind of bring on for the next few years and be that kind of like placeholder for until you find the QB of the future. So I'm just curious if you kind of still feel that way after what it's been 10 weeks now. And then, um, you know, are these last three weeks, are they, are they going to be Drew Locke's, you know, audition again for the third time this year? Or do you think is it's kind of like, let's just, let's just get this guy to get us through the season and figure it out. I think for Teddy Bridgewater, it'll end up coming down to how much money he's getting in free agency, just because you look around. I, I dug into the options kind of ahead of the Broncos uh, about a month ago now, uh, barring a release from, you know, Derek Carr or Jameis Winston being available or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Teddy Bridgewater may very well be the best free agent quarterback on the market this year, uh, which says a lot about the market uh, yeah. <laughs> as much as Br- Bridgewater. I think you could bring him back if the money's right. I don't think he's any sort of inspiring in terms of you grab him with the idea that, you know, you're going to be drafting a guy to try and like take his job. Right. And he's the kind of quarterback who would be a, a valuable mentor. I don't think it makes sense to bring him back with the idea of sitting out the, like sitting on just him and do again. I think that would be a huge mistake just because we're kind of watching it right now. The Broncos are seven and seven. Realistically, they're probably out of the playoffs. This would be the perfect time to play a rookie quarterback if you had a rookie quarterback. But the Broncos don't have a rookie quarterback. They have Drew Locke, who is, you know, in some corners, he's a rookie quarterback. The rest of us (laughs) who are grounded in reality recognize that he's had 18 starts, and this is his third year in the league. And that's kind of what's going to happen. Is this, This season, because he's under contract next year, I think if he does end up playing the last three games, if he, if the Broncos lose to the Raiders, I would be surprised if he does not finish the slate just because it makes sense to play him with the idea that either a, he plays well enough that you're generating some trade value um, or mm-hmm. potentially the you're able to then sell him as like a returning quarterback or you find out enough definitively that he's not good enough and you can kind of move on in the off season. But because he has a rookie right. contract for one more year, it does make sense to kind of give him a shot if the Broncos are the playoff on anyway. We'll see because the coaching staff, Fangio did say if Bridgewater's cleared, he is their starting quarterback, which again kind of points to the fact that the competition that was supposedly close out of training camp was never actually close. I think it was a joke. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like it's been a, it's kind of like Drew Locke. It's like, I feel like he has the same problems he had coming out of Missouri. Like, I don't like, how many more chances is this guy going to get? But we shall see. Drew Locke, to me, is exactly what you said. I think he's the exact same player that I expected him to be when he was coming out of Missouri. It's a roller coaster ride. Right. And the the upside of Drew Locke when he was coming out of Missouri was if he sits long enough, he irons out his footwork, and the game kind of comes to him because you, know, you have to get better at reading the coverages and stuff. 
the hope was he could be like some semblance of like a Matthew Stafford type. That was the mm-hmm. hope. And again, like that's pie in the sky upside. He ended up missing a big chunk of, you know, his rookie season got thrown into the action because Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen aren't good enough. And we, we could, I don't want to go over like the fact that John Elway thought Joe Flacco was a good idea, but that was, that was a joke in and of itself. But, but the fact that Locke got thrown in as a rookie, they won four games. I think that created this unrealistic expectation because people believe in QB wins that all he need all he needs is, you know, patience and time and he's going to put it together. But you look at those four games that he won and honestly, even the fifth game that he lost to the chiefs, he was getting away with a lot of things. And then the Broncos defense and the help around him was good enough to carry some of those big mistakes. And again, I'm not trying to shit on him, but real, but realistically it wasn't a huge surprise that he struggled last year. Uh, And granted, you know, the COVID COVID ruining the off season was a big thing. I think Shermer didn't, do him a whole lot of favors because Shermer doesn't really meet his quarterback halfway. Like you would expect an offensive coordinator, but that's been an issue with Tay Bridgewater just as much as lock. It's not, it's not a uniquely a lock issue. And I don't think it really serves an excuse. So that happens around the NFL. Like yeah. at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm not saying the situation is good, but you can control the part you can control. And lock ended up being a backup this year, got into three different games and in all three games, he looked like he didn't belong. That's tough. Is this, uh, I am curious though, is this, are his interceptions and his uh, turnover plays, are they still are they still there? Because that's been the one thing that I'm kind of counting on this weekend for the to save the Raiders secondary that's uh banged up right now. That is probably the biggest X factor going into this game because I think on paper, knowing what the injury status and kind of where the Raiders are at on defense and then the issues on offense. I think outside a quarterback, the Broncos look like they have a better roster at this point. But when you look at the quarterback yeah. matchup, Carr is significantly better than Locke. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that probably about every single game the Broncos played this year is Locke. The two, the two big turnovers that Locke had this year is the fumble last week against the Bengals. And then he had an interception against the Chargers on an RPO where he should have given the ball, didn't give the ball. And then he compounded the issue by rolling out to his right and throwing it to Derwin James, both of those, those turnovers, I'm not lying. Like those are the two worst plays. I think I've ever seen a professional quarterback make. That's a, that's a strong statement. I would say there, Joe. And I stand by it. You can blame the play calling, but at the end of the day, if you don't trust your quarterback to make an actual read, you're going to try and simplify the job by giving him a read option or giving him a predefined decision with where to go. And he can't even do that. And again, Yes, practice reps matter. I get all that. But every backup in the league has that issue. And we just watched Garrett Gilbert come off the – get signed, have no practice yeah, reps. Yeah, like and before, right? Exactly. So, like, at some yeah. point, some of this has to fall on the player. Like, we can't keep making these excuses. I mean, I guess we can, but the, the rest of the world is laughing at it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say, I, I think uh, part of the confidence in this week, like you said, like roster for roster, I would take the Broncos, especially with the healthy the health status the way it is right now um, for, I mean, hands down, just roster for roster. But the quarterback situation, I think, is giving a lot of people hope. Um, in fact, one of my friends is a Broncos fan texted me after the game after last Sunday. It just goes, congrats on the Raiders win. Drew Locke is starting like. I guess it is down bad. So I don't, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, I think, uh, you're not falling on deaf ears there, Joe. 
I would say my hope is that the game plan that the Broncos hopefully will go into this game with to maximize what Locke does do well, or does his strengths, I wouldn't even necessarily say that he does that well, but his strengths, he does have a strong arm. The ball is definitely going to get downfield a lot faster than it did with Teddy Bridgewater. I also would definitely say Teddy Bridgewater has really hit a wall in the last month. Uh, I, I kind of suspected before the concussion even, he he suffered a shin injury in the Chargers game, and he's kind of tried to play through it. I kind of wonder if getting hurt like he did has sapped his base. And Bridgewater's one of those quarterbacks that really does need his legs to throw with power because he just he's not throwing outside in the boundary with consistent accuracy. His decision-making's kind of slid a little bit. He's just in general, he's he has struggled as well. Like, I'm not saying Bridgewater's been good. So in that way, Locke could be a big improvement just because you're going to have a guy who can actually push the ball downfield. But you have to kind of use that to try and mitigate the fact that on any given play, he could just give the ball away. And yeah. that's that's terrifying. And what I'm hoping the Broncos do is they just run the ball, like just a, just pound the hell out of the ball because the Broncos do have a pretty good run blocking line. Like they're not the best, but they're decent. The Raiders do have an issue defending runs between the guards. And Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon are both playing really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like I think you, uh, the one thing I did want to ask you about before we go too much into the, the running game, which we'll touch on in a second, but, uh, one of the, the themes of the last game was it seemed like Teddy Bridgewater was kind of overthrowing or struggling connect with the guys like Cortland Sutton. Like they have a few plays where they are actually able to beat a guy like Casey Hayward, who, um, you know, I think's played like a play like a pro bowler, even though he's not a pro bowler this year, um, and had a really good year for the Raiders, been the Raiders top corner. Do you think that's something that could actually improve with Locke, or is he kind of just still kind of wildly inaccurate with those deep balls? He is wildly inaccurate with the deep balls, but he's accurate enough that I and, I, and he sprays it downfield often enough that I do think the Broncos it. could win on the fact that you know you shoot a shotgun six times, yeah. gotcha. two of those two Get of those might hit. In. Yeah, gotcha. and I think that that's gotcha. kind of that's probably. I think the passing game is going to rely on rolling lockout on boot action to get him out of the pocket because he gets kind of when he starts to feel any sort of pressure and he'll bail out of clean pockets. So what you do is you, you roll him out because then he's already out on the open. Anyway, he doesn't have to worry about it cuts the field in half. So he doesn't have to make real reads and just make it as simple as you can and hope to God he gets with his first read. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes more sense. Uh, and that's, and then, and again, that's why all the injuries in the Raiders secondary is such a big deal. This is one of the Mm -hmm. reasons why Locke had a halfway decent game to close the season last year against the Raiders is you, you guys had a pretty banged up defense by that point. But I will say that Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, that's the best edge duo the Broncos have faced in a while. And Denver had Garrett Bowles and Bobby Massey healthy the first time around and those two feasted. So that is a concern. And that's, again, one of those reasons why it would make sense to run the ball because you don't want those guys just teeing off on lock. That's a recipe for another four interception game. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like you said, like if I'm the if I'm Pat Sherman right now, starting Drew Locke, seeing the Raiders defense, like you talked about, like, you know, between the between the guards is where they kind of struggle the most. They don't really have like defensive tackles and even Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe, like, I mean, the Raiders knew what they were getting when they signed him. They knew they were getting a good pass rusher who's going to struggle against the run. Uh, but it's been really bad this year. He's been getting washed down. Like he can't hold up at the point of attack and they'll usually have Jonathan Hankins on the left side. I mean, he kind of, he's kind of, he's been stout, been a decent run defender in yeah. the past, but this year he's just not like 
not really productive. Like I think he's doing a decent job holding his gap and kind of doing his job, but he's just not able to overcome the other t- defensive tackles, which are Quentin Jefferson and uh, Solomon Thomas, who just cannot hold up at the point of attack. And I mean, Solomon Thomas, the last time the the these two teams played, like he had a good game with the pass rusher. It was pretty ugly against the ground. Like he, and that's been the problem with him throughout his career is he's too big to be an edge. He's not limber enough to be uh, able to run on the edge and not, not a good enough athlete to be that type of player, but he's also only like 275. And just at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm watching, I'm like, you're just not big enough. Like you're just, you're just not big enough at 275 pounds to take on a double team from two 325 pound dudes. Like that, the math just doesn't work out there. You know? Um, so that's kind of where the Raiders biggest struggle has been. And then, I mean, last week, I remember when I was uh, doing my write up for the post game, the, the Browns averaged like over six yards of carry running from the left a gap and wider. So on Yannick and Gakway's side and uh, on the right side of the defense, where they're like less than two everywhere else onto the, So basically to the right. So I think that's where if you're Pat Shermer and the Broncos looking at that, like that should be your game plan all to, all the entire game. Just run outside zone left, inside zone left, and kind of keep Max Crosby in check. You know, make sure you have someone to at least put a get a body on a body or hat on hat on Jonathan Hankins. Um, you know, see if he can uh, make him try and be that productive, make him try and be that superhero, and then play ball control. If they can get up early, I think that was one of the biggest things the last game of uh, with the Broncos. The Raiders got the lead early, and then the Broncos couldn't quite get the running game going they had to push the ball down the field and i think that'll be a be a big factor so i think the coin toss might actually have some significance this week some uh some big lines to see if they can get out to an early lead i agree because i think ideally the broncos will be they'll, they'll go into this game i think ideally trying to sim like replicate what they did down the final stretch the last couple games with lock last year where they basically just take the game out of his hands as much as possible but that only works. That only works if the score is close enough that you can run the ball like 60 yeah. plus percent of the time. And and the other question I have for you related to that is now that Jonathan Abram is out, do you think Gus Bradley is going to stick to the kind of the same script that he's been using? Because the Raiders actually run more cover three than just about any team in the league. They use a lot of cover three shells. Part of that, I think, is the fact that Jonathan Abram is pretty bad in, in the deep areas of the field like he's not very good downfield he's good around the line like i'm i will say the fact that he is out i am like i'm not you know you never root for an injury right but i do gotta say like him being out is definitely good yeah, it's for the boost. broncos chances because yeah. he's a good run defender he blows things up it's just coverage is kind of shaky yeah and i i say he's good in coveraging like in coverage in like the underneath area i Great. just said jonathan abram jonathan abram is a linebacker in a safety's body yep like that's basically his mentality and everything um that's part of the reason why he keeps getting hurt that's you know i'm looking at it today and now the discussion is do you pick up jonathan abram's fifth year option and it's well i mean he's had two season ending shoulder injuries now and that's because he that's because that's his playing style that's who he is that's how he's been that's how he got here and that's how he's going to continue to be so it's kind of unfortunate on that end, but I definitely, I, I mean, I think you're right in like the sense of, uh, I think Gus Bradley will probably change the scheme, but then again, I thought he would change the scheme to run more too high against the, uh, the chiefs Me too. and he, he didn't, um, part of that too was the Raiders don't really have that second safety to play the, the center field role. They don't, they only have one real free safety in Trevon Merrick. That's why the need was so big for him in the draft. And that's why they needed to get him so desperately and why a lot of people wanted to see him taken in the first round, myself included. Um, luckily, I ended up falling to the second and it worked out. 
but that was a that's kind of the biggest thing is like their next guy that they go to is Dallin Levitt, who he's had his moments and a few plays in coverage, but I mean, at the end of the day, Dallin Levitt is a special teamer. That's the way he's on the team. That's why he made the team. He actually got cut at the end of training camp and, uh, um, you know, the Raiders were willing to risk him going somewhere else uh, just to bring him back, just to bring him back as kind of that special teams ace, that special teams role. So it's, it's it'll be interesting to see what he does. I mean, it, Gus Bradley's kind of getting frustrating, where he just seems like to be stuck in his ways a little bit too much, and at times to a detriment. Um, and it's kind of like you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but at the same time, it's like I don't. I look at the roster. I'm like, well, I, I don't know how much I can blame him. Like, there's not another guy coverage guy, especially when we're talking about the the secondary being depleted. So, I I would think he has to change it up again without the personnel. I think Denzel Perryman being healthy, that'll play a big role too, especially when we're talking about the ground game because he's um, the one guy that's been really good against the run for the Raiders as a linebacker. So, uh, I would think he's going to have to, or Gus Bradley's going to have to mix it up. Maybe we'll see a little bit more base, especially if the Broncos do come out running the ball with uh, three linebackers in the game to kind of mask, not having that extra safety. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a, 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 we'll see what happens at this point. You know, Jonathan Abram got hurt at the end of the game last, uh, last week too. So it's hard to pull too much from that too. So big question mark, definitely heading into the game. So because, and I would say because of Locke, there's even a bigger, there's more pressure on the defense to play up to what they've been doing the last few weeks. Fortunately, and again, we touched on this with all the injuries because there's no Waller, there might be a, like a banged up Waller, obviously no rugs. Deshaun Jackson is not what he was. There's a decent chance the Broncos defense could have a pretty okay day, but also at the same time, Derek Carr has had his way with Fangio's defense basically since Fangio became the Broncos head coach. Uh, I want to say in the five games that he's played, he's completed almost 70% of his passes for 1,500 yards, six touchdowns, only two uh, two, uh, interceptions. And despite the fact that for a big chunk of that, the Broncos did have Von Miller, he's only taken seven sacks. Like it's not, it's not like the Broncos really ruined him. And in a couple of those games, y'all didn't have an offensive line at all. So, (laughs) so it really speaks to what Carr is able to do in the short game because he is good at that part of, Quick game has been Carr's bread and butter, I think, his entire time in the league. Yeah, and I think you kind of nailed it right there with that last statement of, like, where Derek Carr does his best is when you blitz him and when you bring pressure. And I think maybe Fangio, um, I'm, I'm not sure what the pressure rates are or what exactly what his defensive velocity is, but I think he's kind of known for his, like, 3-4 blitzing scheme, if I'm right. Like, he likes to bring the pressure a little bit. They've been doing it a lot lately, especially. Uh, yeah. the, plan, the plan in year one when they had, Fangio, uh, when they had Vaughn and Chubb they were trying to play a lot of coverage and a lot less blitzing last year without Vaughn. And then this year with basically no pass rush, it's been very, very reliant on blitzing. So I think that, yeah, I mean, that's been the de- um, one of the best things is Derek Carr. It's, it's, it's funny. There's Derek Carr is not that great against pressure, but he is good against the blitz. If that makes sense. What it is, And what it is, is like similar to what you're talking about with, uh, with Drew Locke. I don't think he has great pocket presence. I think he gets a little bit skittish when he does get uh, people in his face but it's when you get pressure with four because what he does do is get the ball out and he's able to attack where you're blitzing, you know, t- throwing the ball right where, right where the fender would be or was, and then uh, going from there. And I think that's kind of been the biggest uh, thing against the Broncos that he's done really well is they've always had a game plan of getting the ball out quickly because Von Miller's been on the other side or Bradley Chubb's been having uh, a hell of a year that he had uh, um, a few years ago. So I think that's been a big part of what they've been doing. And then com- coupling that with, uh, 
with Fangio's blitzing, heavy blitzing, um, you know, obviously gave the Raiders more incentive to get the ball out quick and Derek Carr to get the get his um, get to his reads, get through his reads quickly. So I think that can play a, definitely a big factor. But I, like the, when you're reading off those numbers, the one thing that that irks me is is I think you said five games and it was six touchdowns. And it's, yeah, it's kind of been the 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 mantra with with Derek Carr for a while now is like he'll put up the yard stats, he'll get you down the field. But the Raiders have just struggled in the red zone, and I think that speaks to, you know, being so conservative, being uh, a little bit, you know, less of a gunslinger that he has been in the last few years, which we've kind of kind of seen, especially with the the depleted receiving chorus. He doesn't quite trust all these guys just yet. He's not going to just throw up those 50-50 balls, which, I mean, I guess is good and bad, and it's going to lead to less turnovers, but it also can be the infuriating when the offense keeps settling for field goal after field goal and not putting up the points uh, that we've been seeing. So and- it's – yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, and to that point, uh, the numbers actually really bared out even beyond the touchdown number. I was looking at uh, the DVOA numbers. I, I do this every week. I try to look at, you know, the opponent just to kind of see like what stands out. And one of the things that really caught my eye with the Raiders is their red zone offense. They're actually really, really good at running the ball in the red zone, which is not great for Denver. Denver's really bad at defending runs in the red zone. I want to say the Raiders were a top five team at rushing uh, in the red zone, but they're 31st at passing which is kind of crazy when you guys actually have a quarterback. And they love to throw the ball in the red zone. Like, like my, my colleague, Marcus Johnson, like if he heard that he would just, uh, he'd flip off, flip out right now. He'd just be, he's been pounding the table for them to run the ball more in the red zone uh, recently. And they just, they just haven't been able to do it. They just haven't chosen to do it. It's, it's been frustrating. So I, I kind of would hope that they would look at those numbers and start to change things up. um, And then, you know, start calling more runs that maybe fix the red zone woes and maybe put more points on the board. But again, it's it's been frustrating with the coaching staff the last few weeks. I know you brought this up uh, before with Greg Olson. You know, he came out the first couple of weeks and looked phenomenal. We were all sitting here like, where the hell has this guy been uh, before Gruden? Like Gruden who? Like they were using play action like all the time. Or not all the time, but they were getting back up to a league average. And then like ever since, the, again, ever since the bye week, ever since Henry Ruggs has been gone. It's like they've just gotten away with it, and they haven't been running the ball great between the 20s, um, and they've leaned on that as to why they're not using play action, which is more infuriating for me as we've uh, proven that you don't need to have success running the ball to be able <laughs> to run play action. But, you know, I guess, again, speaks to the nature of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So I want to touch on that a little bit just for our listeners who may have not heard that before, because I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's one of those things that I wish Shermer would do a better job of, especially now that it's lock instead of Bridgewater play action is essentially a cheat code in the NFL. It's the equivalent of a, like a corner three. It's like the easiest way to generate offense. As long as your quarterback doesn't shit his pants like Ben Roethlisberger. And you don't necessarily need to run the ball to establish play action. You just need it to, you need to sell the run right. because the second level defenders are going to respect it. They have to, it's their job. And coaches, it's it's like antithetical to like what, it, what coaches think. So they just don't do it. Right. They don't care what the they numbers say. Yeah, they don't believe it. So they don't even try it. And because of that, you see, like, that's one of those big gaps between like the old school coaches who have been in the league for a long time. And then the guys like Brandon Staley, who've actually looked at the numbers and don't just scoff. They actually try and explore it is the fact that they will use play action. And it's frustrating for me, too, because it's like, OK, do we stop and think that maybe they're stopping the run because they're selling out to stop the run? So why not show run and then 
to make advantage. And then guess what? Now you're using the pass to set up the run. Now those linebackers think twice before they start creeping up to the line of scrimmage when they see the quarterback's back. It's, it, it's, it's infuriating to still hear that even in, in, uh, by some respected analysts and some, uh, respected head coaches. And it's just, I, I mean, Derek Carr has said it. I'm like, come on, man, you're not a boomer just yet. Right. And it's one of those things too, uh, from the Denver, from the Broncos perspective, they have two tight ends that are decent enough that you can come out in 12 personnel and still threaten both run look, but you actually have viable receivers playing those two spots. So the play action game out of 12 personnel with Denver should be really good and they just don't do it enough. So I'm with you. Uh, (laughs) I want to say that the biggest issues that I have noticed on the Raiders offensive line would probably be Brandon Parker. Uh, Unfortunately, the Broncos edge rush this year is kind of, especially since Von Miller was traded, and, and, you know, a lot of people hearing that will just run to look at the box score stats for what Von Miller's done. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, Bradley Chubb has been a shell of himself since he came back from his injury. He's just, he doesn't have the burst. It's just not there yet. I'm of the mind that if he's a guy that you should probably shut down rather than risk because they've already picked up his fifth year option, you're going to have to decide if you're extending him. So like, don't risk him getting hurt, but he's still coming out. But Bradley Chubb hasn't looked the same. Malik Reed is having the worst year of his NFL career at this point. Uh, He's 235 pounds. Without having another really good edge, it's hard for him to generate pressure with any consistency. He's very, very reliant on stunts. And he's 235 pounds, so he's, he's a weak run defender. And so the Broncos' best edge rusher right now is actually rookie seventh round pick Jonathan Cooper. And Cooper has looked good, like legitimately. But in terms of matchups, Cooper's in a rough spot just because he has really short arms and he doesn't have elite bend. His bend is probably closer to good than very good. And so if he can't win with his athleticism or burst off the snap, he can get locked up by a lot of tackles because he's just not long enough. Yeah. And I mean, I think as far as, you know, matching up with him with the the Raiders tackles, I mean, Colton Miller's kind of in the stalwart, you know, Brandon Parker is the biggest question mark. The one thing I will say is Parker has played well against teams that don't have great pass rushers or edge rushers, which kind of, uh, I mean, no duh kind of a statement like that. So I think that can work in the Raiders favor. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting to hear because obviously when the, when the, when the Broncos got rid of Von Miller, I thought it was kind of like the, to turn the tide over to, to Malik Red and Bradley Chubb, but it's to see that they're not, you know, exactly panning out is a little bit comforting for the from a Raider fan perspective, but, uh, is definitely something that to keep moving out for. I mean, I Brandon Parker right now is he, he's just kind of like a wild card where I can see him, you know, like I said, playing his playing a game and doing what he needs to do and getting the job done against you know a weak edge rushing uh, group. But I could also see maybe a Jonathan Cooper eating him alive and kind of having a career day and having to come out party because that's just kind of who Brandon Parker is, and that's I think part of the Raiders' problem off with the offensive line is you never really know what you're going to get. They are so young and so um, just inexperienced up front that they're very inconsistent. Uh, you know, I was kind of talking about it in uh, your questions with me for the um, for uh, uh, as far as the running game, where is it almost feels like they pick and choose like which play, like who's going to screw up. Like, and one of them will, and one of them will screw up. Like all, like four guys will do their job, but one person will miss their block and it, they almost pick like, who it's going to be. And it's kind of the same thing in pass protection where there are times like Brandon, uh, Brandon Parker and Alex Leatherwood would be on the same page on a stunt and it'll, uh, they'll pick it up fine. And 
there'll be another time where someone doesn't even look the right way and someone gets a free rush at the running back. I think that actually happened in the Broncos game the last time where uh, I think it was Parker just left Leatherwood out to dry and like immediately tossed over the rusher and ended up knocking over uh, Alex Leatherwood um, to go on his way to go get a sack. So it's, it's a wild card. Um, you know, I'm hoping that being uh being them being down or the Broncos being down will, will make the biggest difference, but we'll see. It's just, I I've come to learn that you just can't know what to expect from the Raiders offensive line this year. It's just such a wild card. And one, one thing I haven't mentioned that I think I need to is the fact that Draymond Jones did miss the Bengals game. Uh, Draymond Jones is the Broncos best pass rusher this year. Uh, he is a defensive lineman for Raiders fans. If you guys are listening, didn't know that, but he missed the game with a foot injury. The Broncos protected Jonathan Harris off the practice squad this week. So, you know, he can't be signed by another team which mm-hmm. does hint that they have doubts about Draymond Jones being available for this game because they don't want to risk losing Harris right beforehand either. If that, if they don't have Draymond Jones, I would expect Fangio to dial really, really heavily into using stunts and then probably more blitzes. The one problem with blitzing is on the second level, the Broncos have Baron Browning, who's a rookie and he's played really well. I've been pretty happy with what he's shown, but Kenny young may very well not make it to the game either. He was, running on the side in practice to, uh, today, Wednesday, uh, had a concussion missed last week. And Jonas Griffith played his first start, uh, against the Bengals looked okay. Looked a lot better than I expected, but he is a special teamer. Like he, that's why he's on the roster. So it's one of those things like as teams start to get tape of him, you're kind of playing with fire because people are going to start gotcha. to figure out how to attack him probably. Yeah. I mean, it- um, it'll be interesting too. Cause like I was talking about with car, like that blitzing him is, is yeah. what he does best. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, but then again, I don't think, uh, you know, the Broncos secondary, I think is pretty been pretty stout, you know, again, especially against the Raiders receiving core that struggles to create separation. So maybe that is the answer. Maybe that, um, they can't take advantage. And I mean, I think, uh, I'm forgetting his name, but, um, Draymond Jones backup is it's, uh, uh, so, is so- it's about, so the Broncos on the defensive line, they have uh, Shelby Harris and Shelby Harris is he is having probably his worst year with the Broncos, which isn't necessarily to say he's been bad, but mm-hmm. he's dealing with an ankle injury and a knee injury playing through it as much as he can. But you can tell it's kind of sapped his quickness. So he's still gotcha. kind of a guy in terms of he'll get into passing lanes and he is a guy who's going to be a factor against the run, but he's just not creating consistent pressure like he has in the past. And then the rest of the defensive line is mostly run stoppers. Uh, they have Mike Purcell and Shamar Steven, who are both kind of like cut from the same mold. They're both like nose tackle types. Uh, Purcell is quick. So if you guys run outside zone, he could beat your center across face. Uh, that's kind of like his, that's what he does. That surprises people is he's, he's pretty quick for a 330 pound guy. Uh, gotcha. But, and then Deshaun Williams is kind of the backup to Draymond Jones. He will probably start if Jones doesn't. Uh, cut mm-hmm. from a similar mold. They're both uh, about 280 pounds. Yeah. But where Draymond Jones is like surprisingly stout against the run, Deshaun Williams is going to give some ground. So I would expect you guys to run at him if he is in the game. Yeah. And that'll be an interesting matchup between uh, that was the one I was looking at earlier was uh, Williams versus uh, Alex Leatherwood. If yeah. they do end up, um, you know, Alex Leatherwood, like I was talking about against the chiefs, he went from giving up nine pressures and earning a, a 0.0 PFF pass blocking grade to this past week, giving up none and earning an, like an 85. So again, it's just, it's just a roller coaster ride. Those are the two guys I'm kind of looking at. Uh, knowing that 
think Leatherwood is a better run blocker. That's kind of what, what always has been the, his calling card coming out of Bama, whether he's playing tackle or guard, is he can be a good run blocker. So definitely think that can definitely play a factor in um, how the how much success the Raiders have, especially if that's not Williams' strong suit. So, I, again, I hope they lean on the running game more, um, but I've said that for the last few weeks, and it just hasn't happened, so we'll see. And and you touched on this a little bit. Before we get to special teams, I do want to mention that because there's no rugs in this game, I feel pretty good about the Broncos' secondary uh, in terms of those matchups. Patrick Sertan, mm-hmm. and again, the, the Pro Bowl announcement is actually happening as we're talking about this, but... Patrick Sertan should make the Pro Bowl based on what I have seen this year, just in terms of like his coverage ability. He he's sticky. He's on top of a guy. If you make a throw at him, he's going to be around the area to either make the tackle or make the breakup. Uh, I want to say with last time I checked opposing quarterbacks when they've thrown at him have completed, I want to say 47% of their passes this year, uh, which is significantly better than everybody else in the Broncos secondary. Uh, Justin Simmons is also like hovering right around 50%, but just, you know, you don't throw at safeties the same way. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Darby's allowing about 60%. Um, and that seems to be where teams do try to attack because the Broncos try to protect Kyle Fuller because he's in the slot or Bryce Callahan. Um, so I, I think that the matchup that the Raiders will try and attack is probably Darby and whoever, whoever's on Darby Darby plays right corner. Uh, so that'll force Carr to throw to the left. And then the Broncos try to protect that right side. They have both Simmons and Sertan there usually. Gotcha. You think they'll have a uh, Simmons playing the slot to try and, t- or not Simmons, uh, um, Sertan playing the slot to try and go no. forward. So he's going to stick on the outside. I think they'll keep him on the outside just because he's, he's so much more comfortable there. Uh, when they gotcha. played him in the slot in the past, like he, he'll, he'll move with guys. Like, so if, you know, if the personnel dictates that he goes over to the slot, he'll do it, but he's much better on the boundary. And then the Broncos also have two decent slot options in terms of Bryce Callahan. Last week was his first game, kind of like really getting back up and running. Looked okay. Uh, Kyle Fuller, I want to say moving him to the slot may have saved his career uh, just because he looked toast like on the outside the early part of the season. Teams were isolating and then throwing against him deep. You guys actually did that some too. Whereas in the slot, you can hide his long speed. And then he's a willing tackler. He's physical. He's he's able to like keep up with guys in short quarters. He just can't like open up and run anymore like he has. So I do think that the Broncos will trust their slot corners to play in the slot and then just deal with Hunter Renfro as much as they can with the idea of if Hunter Renfro can beat us, Hunter Renfro can beat us type of thing is what I expect. Um, yeah. With the idea that they're going to try and prioritize just playing like coverage overall and making Carr beat them. Yeah, and that's, that's going to make it interesting for me too because – uh, as far as like Sertan versus the rest of the Raiders outside receivers, like I was talking about before, it's 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 a bunch of nobodies. Um, you know, Brian Edwards has had his moments at this point in the year, but he's just never never consistent. And I mean, as far as him versus Sertan, um, you know, I, I like to see something. I'd like to see Brian Edwards have a good game and kind of build something to build off so he can be more consistent moving forward. But uh, you know, right now I'm putting my money on Sertan if I had to place that bet. And then Deshaun Jackson, like he kind of brought him up, like, and it, it, it's almost brought like irks my blood at this point. I don't understand why he's why he's on the field. He's had outside of the Cowboys game. I mean, he's had more negative plays and bad ones. Like he's had his his best play was a 38 yard catch that resulted in the inexplicable fumble on Monday night on Sunday night football that I'm sure you've all seen uh, against the Chiefs. And then outside of that, he's just really done pretty much nothing and had a drop last week too. Um, him and Carr just haven't been on the same page. When he does get open, Carr is not looking his way. And like I said, 
they're not really connecting. I think he has like one catch a game outside. If you remove that Cowboys game, if you include it, it's like one and a half catches a game. So just not a production. The one guy that I am I'm hoping, I'm hoping they finally let the training wheels off of um, is going to be Tyron Johnson, who he's kind of like that deep threat. I think he can be the guy that kind of forced teams to, 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 honor the deep threat, which has been missing since Ruggs has gone and played a huge role. Like I said, in the beginning of the show, when uh, the last time the, the Broncos played. So I'm hoping that they'll kind of let him loose and just, just see what he can do. At least give him more reps. He got like three plays last game and all three of running plays. So still don't really know what he looks like. He came from the, the chargers and the Jaguars. So, and he has had success as a deep threat in the NFL. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see because I feel like the uh, the Broncos' strengths right now and the the Raiders' uh, weaknesses and vice versa are kind of opposite on each other on that side of the ball. Like Broncos' great secondary might go for all for not against the Raiders' uh, lackluster receiving core and the the um, Raider or the Broncos' lack of a pass rush could be an issue. Yeah, I agree because I, I I would think that because the Raiders don't really have the receiving weapons, the Broncos are going to try and live in cover one as much as they can. Broncos mm -hmm. run a lot of cover one. They'll mix in some six and some three, but that's, they're going to try and just isolate and just shut down the outside receivers and make Carr just win by checking it down as much as they can with the idea that they have enough speed on the second and third level to rally up. So yeah. I, I think if the Broncos defense plays as it has, this is going to probably be a low scoring game uh, unless lock goes off. But <laughs> you know, that's anybody's guess because the games that lock has been best in his career are when teams don't do a good job pressuring him. And that's like the strength of your guys's defense is actually <laughs> generating pressure yeah. up front. So it, it it's like you said, it's kind of a strength against weakness on both sides of the ball um, in terms of offense versus defense, which honestly to me, if it ends up coming down to special teams, this is probably the first week in a long time that I don't feel horrible about it just because <laughs> The Broncos special teams is a joke. Like, and I, and I've touched on this, I think every episode of cover two Broncos dating back to week three. Uh, but the Raiders actually are, are pretty weak on special teams as well in terms of the numbers, at least. Do you think that's just because Bisaccia is like now the head coach doesn't actually have as much time or is it a personnel issue or. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised to see the numbers. I can't say I, I dive too deep into the special teams numbers, but I feel like they've kind of been, They've been all right. They've been kind of unnotable where they're not necessarily bad on special teams. I can't really think of too many big plays they've given up on special teams. That sounds but so I, nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the other end of it is I can't think of any like momentum changing plays um, that they've been able to make. You know, the the ones that the special teams plays that sneak a, uh, sneak in my mind or pop up in my head are the one like, you know, a couple like fake punts or something like that to pick up some fourth and shorts. And then the one that was actually, you know, kind of a knock on uh, the special teams coach when they had 10 players on the field against the chargers and Hunter Renfro comes up with that huge pass breakup on uh, Monday night football back in week four. So I, yeah, like when I saw that, when uh, that those numbers, I was a little surprised to see that they're, they are weak. Um, and I know you, you've talked about like the Broncos, maybe that being somewhere the Raiders can, uh, Raiders can take advantage of. I mean, like I said, from what I've seen from the Raiders special teams, it just kind of seems like they just go out there and do their job. They're going to, make sure they're not going to alter the game, which I guess is kind of what you would, you would hope for uh, in a sense, but it's also like, they're not really, they're no, there's no playmakers on special teams. So I guess that's what I should say. So you guys are, you guys are boring bad and we're just bad is how I would probably describe <laughs> it. Cause again, like 
when you say that you, you don't really remember any bad plays, it's the opposite for me. I think <laughs> I, I would settle for boring uh, at this point. And again, like the last two weeks, the Broncos special teams have mostly stayed out of the way. Uh, so, you know, you take it because again, they've, yeah. they've allowed punt blocks. They've allowed field goal blocks. They've allowed kickoff return for a touchdown. They've allowed, you know, 40 yard returns for touch, uh, not for a touchdown, but four yard return, I guess a punt. They've had leverage penalty that cost them a touchdown against the Steelers. Like you name it, the Broncos this year have done it on special teams. Yeah. Uh, so that is probably one area of the game where this is a chance for Tom McMahon to kind of like build momentum in terms of if, if the matchups actually work in their favor, maybe the Broncos can get a big play. Uh, I doubt it, but you know, you hope so. But yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I think part of like the reason why the Raiders special teams is so boring is they have two really good kickers where Daniel Carlson's obviously, you know, he's a good field goal kicker, but then I, and he's also handles the kickoff duties. I feel like, I feel like more times than not, he's going to kick a touchback. I feel like he kind of like takes that off the table, which I, I personally love. That's my philosophy on kickoff team. Just let them start at the 25. I don't want to worry about, I'm like you, I, I, the, the, the bad special team stick at play stick in my head more than the, the good ones normally. So I'd much rather just give them the ball in the 25 and uh, take the touchback. And then AJ Cole's just been uh Absolutely. He's a, I mean, he's the pro bowl punter for the AFC this year. So he's been uh fantastic this year, just blooming it down the field, getting a lot of fair catches and then uh, giving those nice, uh, those nice chip shots, little Pat McAfee uh, golf swing um, coffin corner punts too. So it, I think that kind of speaks to it too, is it's funny. Like you're, you're the two most important people on special teams kind of make the special teams group uh, not look quite as great because they're so stout and not really giving many guys uh, opportunities. Do you do you think it would be wise to move on from Carr if they do? Do you think it's going to be like a trade? Do you think it'll be just cut? Do you think if they do move on from Carr, what what do you think they're going to try and do? Because I do know that Russell Wilson at one point did leak that he was willing to. Well, his agent leaked. I want to clarify. Yeah. His agent <laughs> leaked that he would be willing to waive his no trade clause to go to Vegas. Uh, you guys, depending on how the you know the last couple games go both Raiders and Broncos could theoretically be high enough in this draft to get either QB one or QB two, just because it doesn't look like a quarterback's actually going to go in the top five, six picks of this draft. Yeah. I, I think with Carr, um, you know, I'm kind of in the camp where I'm kind of indifferent on what they're going to do with him this year. I, I kind of see both arguments like, um, you know, the, the, the argument that he's not winning again, I'm not a QB win stat guy, but it's kind of like, I, I, again, we're going into year nine and again, with one playoff, with one playoff appearance, it's like kind of like maybe if you're the Raiders, you sit there and say, we're just not going to be able to give this guy whatever he needs to be successful. So kind of out of respect to him, we'll let him go or we'll try and trade him. I would prefer it. Obviously if I prefer it, if they're going to let him go to trade him, I think they can get a, I think they can get a decent return on Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is a good enough quarterback that you'll get a team to give him a, give you a, a high pick, like a first round pick um, for a guy like Derek. Um, you know, obviously that's easier said than done at this point in the year. But the the one thing about Derek that is kind of interesting, and I, I'm sure this will come up, is he said this in the other off seasons before, but he said in the off season that he was uh, willing to take a discount to um, stay with the Raiders, and that he, if he was going to be traded or go play somewhere else, he would retire. Yep. Now, I think that's personally, I kind of think that's a lot of like raw raw off season fan talk like let's get everyone fired up right before we're about to have a year with a pretty good team and that was also before this whole calamity and this whole clusterfuck that's been this whole last year with all the drama where 
again, they're not winning. And I feel like that can easily change. Like, like if you're a competitor, if you're Derek Carr, you're sitting here like, I feel like you've got to be sitting here saying, by the same token of the team being like, we don't know if we can give this guy what he needs to win. If you're Derek Carr, you have to sit there and say, is this team going to be able to give me what, what I can win? It's been eight years. Maybe I want to go somewhere else. Maybe I want to finish out my career in somewhere else. And um, as far as like getting Russell Wilson, I mean, I, to me, Russell Wilson would be an upgrade over Derek Carr. I know last few weeks that hasn't uh, hasn't looked too great because Russell hasn't been been the same ever since he had that injury this season. But yeah, I mean, if Russell Wilson was on the table, I would definitely like that. I think if the Raiders do move on from Derek Carr, I'd almost like to see them go the free agency route. I know Broncos fans probably aren't going to want to hear this, but I'd like to see what happens with the Aaron Rodgers situations. You never know. You never know. Maybe that sure. ends up falling through. I'm sure uh, I know Broncos fans have been clamoring for that for the last, what, 12 months or whenever uh, Aaron started having his issues with the Packers. So, um that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the quarterbacks in this draft, and uh, I know I'm not breaking anybody's any news over here. The guy I really liked this summer when I started watching him was uh, Sam Howell. He ended up having a, a rough year. Obviously, the other quarterback that people a lot of people were talking about in the offseason was uh, uh, Spencer Rattler, who has fallen way down the ranks and not even going to be in the draft this year. So I'm a little little worried that some of these guys are some late risers that we're just kind of going to be overrating because they are quarterbacks and they're not quite what they what we're looking for, especially after having last year where we had five first round quarterbacks and a pretty good class. So it, it, it's going to be an interesting offseason, and I think that part of it is too why I'd be okay with them sticking around with Carr for another year if uh, you know there's no clear upgrade. You're not going to have a chance at a Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers going to stay in Green Bay or anything like that. And, like you said, the, the best free agent quarterback is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo or or uh, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I'd be better off. I'd be better off rolling with Carr and um, you know seeing if maybe you can play your way into the Bryce Young sweepstakes next year or something like that and kind of uh, stay in put for one more year and seeing how it goes. But I mean, it also going to depend on what the philosophy is. You know, I, I I can see the Raiders clearing house this year, which means um, overhauling the roster too, especially if they get a new GM. And bring in Mike Mayock, especially you can see that guy wanting to bring in his guy, uh, as we hear about all the time in the league, especially with a new coach too. Um, no, that's also going to be a big factor. So it'll be interesting. Uh, it's going to be one of the more interesting off seasons in the Raider history in, in uh, the last few years. So. Gun to your head, if you had to take one quarterback from this class and say I'm building around him, who would you pick? Ah. <sighs> I do need to get into it. I'm way, I'm, I'm too far behind. Like you said, no, it's okay. we, we can, we can it, go on but, it, you know, again, rehash this for later sure. in this off season, but right now, if you had to, if I had to pick one guy, I still believe in my guy, Sam Howell, but I think if I had to pick one guy right now, it'd probably be uh, Matt Corral. I just feel like he's got the most potential and is the like closest to being ready. Like, I feel like Kenny Pickett's going to be the guy like the Mac Jones of this year. He's like, Oh, he's the most NFL ready guy but doesn't have the most potential. Um, whereas Matt Corral will probably be the best in between where I think he has a lot of skills, um, but he did play in an offense that it's going to be a lot of simple reads, a lot different uh, in Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. So I get, but again, we don't know who the Raiders coach is going to be. So maybe, maybe, they, maybe they hire Lane Kiffin again. Maybe they run it back with uh, our 62 yard field goal attempts and, and bring in Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin in a package deal. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, Matt Corral, as things stand right now, um, in the, my way too early quarterback rankings is uh, quote unquote my guy. How about you? Because uh, obviously the Broncos are going to be in a similar situation. So 
and like you, I want to, I want to, you know, caveat all this by saying I have watched painfully little of the quarterback class to <laughs> this point because I'm still holding out hope, you know, of an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson trade. Right. That said, I have watched a little bit of Desmond Ritter. I feel like I could get on board with a Desmond Ritter at least because he has played quite a bit. You should have a decent idea of what you're getting. He gives you mobility. He He's arm talent is okay. The biggest issue with him is accuracy, but if the coaching staff feels like they can fix it, maybe. That yeah. said, I hate take and I, and I and again, I hate the idea of taking a quarterback that you have to fix his accuracy because by yeah. and large, no one does. Josh Allen is kind of like an outlier in that regard. Mm-hmm. Matt Stafford is actually also an outlier. He actually got more accurate when he got to the NFL, but very, very rarely does it happen. Uh, so that is terrifying, but that's actually where I'm at on this class. This class as a whole to me scares me. Uh, the thing that's, I was just going to say with your guy, Matt Corral, I like him. I think I've, I've actually watched a, a little bit of him. The, the fact that he's in the Lane Kiffin offense though, does scare me just because he's coming from an offense where he has one of the most innovative offensive yeah. play callers in college football. Odds are his play caller in the NFL is not going to be that guy. And is that, is that new offensive coordinator? And we don't know, you know, who the Broncos are going to have, cause it probably won't be Shermer can that guy kind of tap into the things that Kiffin was doing well? And I, and I have no confidence that's going to be a thing. And then you're taking off the training wheels right away and just kind of throwing them into the fire. And again, that's every quarterback in this class. So I'm not trying to damn any one single guy. I don't like this class at all. Yeah. And it's funny. Like, I feel like most years, like obviously when you get down draft boards, like people are going to have their different rankings, but for the most part, like the top is like pretty set in stone. Like everyone usually has their QB one and everyone's pretty much in agreement but I swear I could pull up like five different tr- trusted draft yeah. analysts and they're all going to have a different QB one. I've seen Ritter. I've seen Pickett. I've seen, um, I, I mean, I've seen Corral be QB one. Like it's, oh. it's just, it's just a cluster across the board. And again, it speaks to just how uncertain this quarterback class is. And it's, it's going to be a rough year to be in the quarterback mar- market, which is, I think uh, for both these teams, a big reason why you kind of stay with the status quo and Bridgewater and Carr for the year. We're getting off into the weeds a little bit with this, so I apologize. And also, again, let me know if I'm keeping you too long. But that is one of the reasons why I remain really dubious about the idea of passing on Justin Fields and Mac Jones last year, even though I I do really like Sertan. Uh, And even though Fields and, and Jones lesser, obviously, Jones has played pretty well with a perfect situation for him. But Fields has looked pretty bad. Like, you know, the Broncos season realistically is over. Right now would be the perfect time to say, fuck it. Might as well put Fields in, see what he can do for three weeks. And then he can build on that for next year. But you don't have that. And you're going into an offseason where it's like, well, if we don't get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, hands up, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. And I and I feel like with Fields, too, I feel like the Broncos situation, what we were talking about, is it would be a lot better than what he has in the Bears. I mean, starting with the head coach, I, I mean, Matt Nagy has been pretty incompetent. I, I was looking at scrolling Twitter one day and I saw a great tweet. Why would you have Justin Fields on your roster and run the Wildcat? <laughs> like, yep, that's 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 half the reason why you draft him, guy. And I, and I, so I think you put him on the Broncos situation with the Broncos offensive line. Now, granted, Bears have some good weapons with Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, but I mean, I'll still take Noah Fant, uh, you know, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and Cortland Sutton over those guys any day of the week. And I take the Broncos offensive line over the the Bears right now too, which I think has been a big part of the problem. Uh, out in Chicago and it's going to be a struggle for any rookie quarterback having to face that much pressure. So yeah, I, I wasn't going to ask it because I didn't want to rub salt in the wounds, but uh, I was going to say how as great as Patrick Sertan has been, 
there's still got to be a little hesitation with the without t- with passing on Justin Fields at the very least. And I mean, Mac Jones obviously is the going to be the one that hurts too. But at least you can you can justify that one by your by at least saying like he wasn't the guy leading into that pick. Like no one would have blamed you. To to me, the big thing with Fields is just again you're looking at the situation that you're in right now. Uh, where it's for the Broncos, basically, if they don't get Aaron Rodgers or Justin Fields, they're a year behind where they should be with Peyton going into year two. And it's kind of similar to the tackle situation. The Broncos passed on every single tackle in last year's draft, in part because they thought Jawan James was going to come back and play. When Jawan James, like, even if Jawan James came back and looked as good as he did before you signed him, it was a guy who had 63 offensive snaps across two seasons with you. You can't trust that that guy is going to be available long-term. And historically, any GM worth their salt knows that tackles typically take a couple years to develop. So it makes sense to grab one early in your tenure and then hope that that guy's kind of putting it together, you know, year two, year three. And then, but instead the Broncos are basically going to have to start over at right tackle. And again, Mike Munchak is a legendary offensive line coach. I am confident that he will be able to figure something out, but the Broncos have been getting by with band-aids at right tackle for the better part of the last half decade. And I'm kind of tired of it. And I think that in it's in their interest to find a guy. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. uh, Looking at this class from what you've seen, is there any position groups that really kind of jump out to you good or bad outside of quarterback? I definitely say the edge rushers. I mean, like at the beginning of the year, for most of the year, I think everyone was kind of in agreement. Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be one of the best, uh, one of the best um, edge rushers in the class. And then, you know, you get Aiden Hutchinson who ends up emerging and almost supplanting him and potentially being the number one overall pick. And I think there's a lot of talent in there too. Uh, you know, top to bottom, George Galaftis from Purdue had a huge year this year. I think he's going to be a guy that I actually think Galaftis can play a little bit inside and outside getting into, getting into a little bit on how much I like that guy. But uh, and uh, I'm drawing a blank on his last name, but and I, Drake Jackson from uh, USC is all, another guy that I think's been been really good. So I I really like the edge rusher class this year, which I think will bode well for the Broncos if they do want to go that route. Um, and then the other one would be probably like the offensive line as just as a whole. I think there's a lot of guys that have been getting some notoriety at tackle. Evan Neal, who's a 350 pound freak, was seen doing the the splits on block box jumps this offseason. Like I mean. A guy that big just shouldn't be able to be that nimble, shouldn't be able to move like that. And I think, uh, you know, a guy like, Ike, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Ikem Aquanu from uh, NC State. Icky. He's been a nasty. Icky, yeah, we'll go with that. Icky, I like that better. Um, he's been nasty. So I, I, I think there's a lot of depth in the offensive line and in the trenches this year, which is good because the last few years, I feel like that's kind of been down, especially edge rusher this last year. Um, you know, I, Odafe always actually had a pretty good year for the uh, – for the Ravens, but like I had no sacks and ended up going in the first round uh, at Penn State. So, well, it's one of those things, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's one of those things where, as a prospect, though, Odafe Oe looked pretty scary just because he had no sacks and you had questions yeah. about his hands, but like not his overall hands, but his pass rush repertoire. So, just because he's put it together doesn't necessarily mean that as a prospect, he wasn't kind of scary. Yeah. And good yeah, on the Ravens, right. you know, for knowing what to do with him, make it work. And that kind of goes down to, you know, that's the beauty of the draft is where you land usually dictates how you actually do. Uh, I really like David Ajabo from Michigan. He's the first edge from this class that I really did a deep dive on, watched five games of him. 
he's not Von Miller. So I, I want to start with that, but there are definitely, you watch him, you do get glimpses of like a similar skill set in terms of just very good speed rusher, good burst has the bend has the beginnings of a decent pass rush move set. Uh, he has a really good rip. I like his swim. I, I think he needs to get a counter. He doesn't, he doesn't have a very reliable counter. And then the other big question with him is just power overall. His bull rush is, is adequate. Uh, and then just overall, like he doesn't go with using like speed to power enough. He could, but he doesn't do it yet. So the idea, you know, obviously as he adds moves to his, to his table, I think he could be really good, but it's going to be one of those things where he has to land a situation where guys actually push him to do that. Uh, and then in terms of week, I, other than quarterback, I haven't really do I've looked at the offensive line. I've looked at the linebacker class a little bit. Uh, I started watching Henry Toto. Uh, he reminds me of Kenny young kind of in terms of, and again, I've only watched gotcha. a little bit and I'm not saying he's Kenny young, but just, he reminds me of Kenny young in terms of their overall, like kind of archetype in terms of he's like a run and chase backer, not great. At the point of attack from what I've seen so yeah. far. Uh, but if the Broncos go cheap at linebacker, it could make sense for a guy like that. Um, and then, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about the offensive line class just because I really, really hope the Broncos draft a guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so la finally, last thing, your prediction, My I'm prediction going to, for the game. I'm going to assume you are confident that the Raiders can beat drew lock. Uh, but I want to ask you how can the Broncos win, but also how would the Raiders win? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. I, I, I would be confident in Drew Locke, but I the last month and a half have not made me confident in the Raiders. So that's kind of it's it's a battle of unconfidence or non-confidence, whatever the the other word for that is. We'll figure that one out later. Um, but I I kind of honestly see the Broncos winning this one. I think like you talked about before, I think it will be low scoring. I think the the score I, I was thinking at earlier was like fourteen to ten. Um, again, I just don't I don't trust this Raiders offense right now. I don't trust them to put up points against. Uh, a secondary. I don't really trust them too much to be able to run the ball. I mean, maybe the, maybe the injuries will work in their favor and they'll be able to get stuff done. And then defensively again, you know, it's going to hinge a lot on if Denzel Perry making play, cause he's going to be a big factor against the run, not having Jonathan Abram, I think is going to be a bigger adjustment than maybe some people might realize um, again against the run and the, the underneath coverages. So I think the Broncos can win if Drew Locke can kind of fight his natural urge to just chuck it up deep uh, and give the Raider, give the Raiders a uh, secondary that again, is going to be going to be shorthanded some turnovers and they stick to running the ball. And then defensively, I know it's going to be tough to fight the urge. Probably there might probably gonna be a few plays where, you know, pass rush doesn't hit home with four, but if they can just sit back and four and with uh and get after car with four and just sit back and play coverage, I really think that's going to give the Raiders a lot of trouble especially if they have the numbers advantage in the secondary. I think they have the personnel advantage, you know, player for player. The only guy, especially if Waller is out, the only guy I think can really give them problems is going to be Hunter Renfro. So I think if you can do that, plus a numbers advantage on that end, then you can really stop the Raiders offense. Um, and I mean, the Raiders have also not played well at home. They, they come out. I don't know if they're out partying the night before in Vegas or whatnot, but it's been a lot of slow starts, especially at home. Um, and I mean, I think their home record right now, I think they've won like two games. One of those being the the emotional win uh, on Monday Night Football in the first game in, in Vegas with fans. Um, the other one being a, a win over a, a Jacoby Brissett-led Dolphins team where, again, they, they fell out into a 14-point hole uh, in that game. So it kind of speaks to 
how slow they start. So I think I think the Raiders will let the Broncos hang around a little bit more at least, and I think the Broncos are a good enough team that they're uh, they can pull off this win if they if they really if Drew Lock just basically doesn't screw it up for him. If Drew Lock can be the game manager instead of the 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 hero ball that he likes to play, then um, you know I, I really can see this going the Broncos' way. But again, I, I think it'll be low scoring. I feel like I feel like this is not going to be a ratings driver for either team. It's not going to be the uh, the clean game that we all are used to seeing from NFL teams. I feel like we're in for a wacky one. I do too, and I I agree with you. I do think that Drew Lock is basically the X factor of the game. Just because if the Broncos can figure out a way to keep Locke from getting skittish and he can kind of just set up in the pocket and not give the ball away uh, as he has been prone to do for his entire career, the Broncos could do this just because they do have the talent basically around him to be able to capitalize. But if if Locke gives a couple of balls away, that could be all the Raiders need. A couple short fields, they're going to get field goals at least. And then that's yeah. going to put pressure on the passing offense to be able to work, which then puts Drew Locke into a situation where he's in drop back mode, which could exasperate the issues. So I'm going to, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be really close. I'm hopeful that the Broncos can come out from this, but I, I, I right now I would say it's a toss up. If you had to, if you had to put a score prediction, what are you, what are you going with? I like 14, 10, I think 17, 17, 10 or 14, 10 is probably going to be right in that ballpark. I think it's going to be a race to 20 points and whoever gets closest wins. Gotcha. Sounds um, like a thriller. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, Matt. I really appreciate it. And guys, if you don't follow Matt on Twitter, go do it. He is at M Holder 95 and he writes at silver and black pride. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Hey man. Appreciate you having me on Joe. Always a blast.